Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You're feeling better though, right? Yeah. Yeah, you you were kind of... I think I find this really interesting that when we were in Thailand, you were eating some sort of food on a stick that was sold in a street and you were fine. But the minute you get home... And you start eating food from our refrigerator. Maybe we should have cleaned it out before we left. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Yeah. But I am feeling a little bit better. And uh, I'm going to try to make it through this and be as as on point as possible. <laughs> I have confidence in you. Thank you. Um, the thing is with me, and I think maybe this is contributing to your uh, feeling not 100%, but for me, the jet lag. I'm still feeling the jet yeah. lag. We have not slept all the way through the night in a good sized chunk since we've been home. Mm. It's just been a series of lengthy naps. <laughs> yeah, though um, I have been sleeping a little more the last couple of days. Thanks, violent diarrhea. <laughs> what is your story like? Well, it doesn't involve diarrhea. Oh, okay. At least that I know of. <laughs> it involves exhuming a body. Oh. Who doesn't love a good story about exhuming a body? All right, maybe there are some people, and that's okay. Uh, but for me, I love it, especially if it's a famous person and they, they find something weird in the coffin, <laughs> something bizarre, something unexpected. You've got a childlike glee about oh, you right now. this is a good one. I'm really enjoying it. This is exactly what happened when they exhumed the body of Lord Byron, back in the 1930s. Now, Lord Byron, whose full name was George Gordon Byron, he was the sixth Baron Byron. And of course, he's known as, if not the greatest English romantic poet, certainly one of them. He was truly a celebrity in his day. He was a leading figure of the romantic movement. He's regarded as one of the greatest English poets ever. And, uh, 
He also was very well known as a ladies' man. Oh. Oh, they followed him everywhere. Lord Byron was born January 22nd, 1788, and he died on April 19th, 1824, which made him just 36 years of age. Oh, wow. In addition to writing, Lord Byron had a love for adventure, and he traveled extensively. Kind of like us, we were adventurers. And I like to think of myself as a bit of a poet. I wrote a poem for my friend yesterday for Valentine's Day. Would you like to read it? to us now oh would you like to hear it do you have it on your phone i do okay yeah okay okay here we go oceanic beauty dangerous and saline crashing comfort also debt booty good thing you weren't alive when lord byron was around you would have given him a run for for his money oh yeah one of the greatest romantic poets ever so byron loved to travel And he did uh, travel extensively. In fact, the last trip he took was to Greece to assist in the liberation of the country from the Ottoman Turks. Is that a vacation, really? Well, yeah, it wasn't a vacation, really, but it was an adventure. It was there that he became seriously ill. And although we don't know for sure what he contracted, it was probably malaria. No, I don't know. Is diarrhea a symptom of malaria? I would think so. Mm. Anyway, that's where he died in Greece, which is better than dying in diarrhea. Should we stop saying diarrhea? (laughs) Having died abroad, there was a pretty fierce debate as to where he would be buried or interred. (laughs) Interred. You are so overtired. Um. I just wanted to say uh, symptoms of malaria involve diarrhea. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fast heart rate, abdominal muscle cramps, fatigue. Oh, my God. Do I have malaria? I don't think you have malaria. I hope you don't have malaria. Amanda said I should get that vaccine. Is there a a home test for malaria? (laughs) Let's call Walgreens. Anyway, this debate erupted as to where they were going to bury Lord Byron. And uh, it was a while before they decided to send his body back to England, which is where he wanted to go. But, you know, he was Lord Byron and they wanted to keep him. He was eventually interred at the uh, Church of St. Mary Magdalene in Nottinghamshire. Or was he? (laughs) Well, at least it said so on the stone that covered his crypt. But over the years, rumors started circulating that perhaps his body was never shipped back to England and that he was not at the Church of St. Mary Magdalene. Why wouldn't it have been? Well, they thought he was such a famous guy. He was a huge celebrity in his day. And it was thought that they wanted to keep him in Greece for, I don't know, like a tourist attraction like or something. Like St. Nick. Like St. Nick's bones. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So these rumors began to really swirl about and they escalated incredibly in 1877 through 1888 when the church underwent a restoration project. The rumors that his body was not really there really caught fire at this point. There were also rumors that during the uh, restoration project, Lord Byron's crypt had been damaged or tampered with. Mm -hmm. So decades go by when in 1938, the vicar of Hucknall Parish, a man named Reverend Canon Reverend Canon Barber, decided to put to rest once for all uh, all of these concerns. Okay. 
He argued that opening the poet's crypt would allow them to confirm once and for all that Byron was in fact there and also give them an opportunity to document and record any contents that were in the vault. And see if he smelled like roses. Yeah. That's a callback to the St. Nick thing. But Barber petitioned Parliament to get clearance from his home office. He also got in contact with the current surviving Lord Byron to get family permission as well. Now, the current Lord Byron at the time thought this was a capital idea. He was quoted as saying that he expressed his fervent hope that great family treasure would be discovered with his ancestors' remains and that those treasures would be returned to him. Mm, uh, yeah. Is that how that works? Isn't that grave robbing? I don't know. I think if it's a family member, I mean, you if somebody gets buried with a ring and the family goes and says, you know, I really would like to have that ring back. I've, I've heard of situations where that has been done. Really? Yeah. I feel like if it's someone's last wish to be buried with something, then... Well, not all of Lord Byron's wishes, last wishes, were carried out. Okay. And, and we will get to that. So permission was quickly granted. And on June 15th, 1938, the Reverend Barber, with a small group of invited guests that numbered about 40, uh, gathered to open and enter the vault of Lord Byron. So I'm beginning to think that this is less of a uh, scientific uh, endeavor and more of a morbid curiosity tour. But I would be down for it. Of course. Absolutely. It didn't take long for the stone slab to be pulled up out of its place and slid across the granite floor of the church. Man, you are telling a story. I can hear that in my head. Yep. Foul, musty air poured out. And they thought it would be best if before they entered the crypt that they tested the air. After all, it had been sealed up for over a hundred years. So to do this, they used a miner's safety lamp. Now, once it was determined that it was safe to enter the dusty crypt, Barber descended down the staircase into the vault. Anticipation, of course, was really high, especially since the surviving Lord Byron had suggested that perhaps there were family riches that had been squirreled away in there. Rich stuff. The rich stuff. Now I want to watch the Goonies. I know. However, what they saw, at first anyway, was disappointing. Church records of the event quoted Barber as saying, it was totally different from what I had imagined. Quote, to find myself in a vault of the smallest dimensions and coffins at my feet stacked one upon the other with no apparent attempt at arrangement, giving the impression that they had almost been thrown into position was an outrage to my sense of reverence and decency. He went on to say, quote, I could not bring myself to believe that this was the vault as it had been originally built, nor yet could I allow myself to think that the coffins were in their original positions. Had the size of the vault been reduced and the coffins moved at the time of the 1887-1888 restoration? And that was a big concern that at some point, whether it was during the restoration or perhaps grave robbers had broken into the crypt and ransacked it. Disappointed, the good reverend climbed out of the vault and invited all of his guests to afternoon tea. But a church warden named A.E. Holdsworth and two of his assistants decided they'd climb back down in and take a closer look. Of course. I would be egging that guy on. 
And maybe it was because of morbid curiosity, but they decided that they were going to open the coffin and see what was inside. How was that not part of the original plan? Wouldn't you need to open the coffin to determine that, though? I think they were planning to, but it was tea time. You know those, you know those Brits and their tea? No, I mean, that's fair. I love tea. There were two coffins inside the crypt, and they were in quite good condition. They were missing, missing some of the handles, and one of the uh, coffins had its nameplate removed. The one that did still have a nameplate was that of Lord Byron's daughter, Ada Lovelace. So one could assume that during the renovation, the people that entered the tomb had taken Lord Byron's nameplate and maybe some handles off the casket as souvenirs. Oh, okay. In addition to the caskets, it was noted that there were many containers that were filled with all sorts of odd things. Barber, in his final report, said, quote, At the foot of the staircase, resting on the child's lead coffin, was a container, which according to the inscription on the wooden lid and on the inside, contained the heart and brains of Lord Byron. Ha. Now, side note, I mentioned his some of his wishes were not carried out. One of Byron's final wishes was that his body remain intact. Oh, no. Yeah, and sadly, for whatever reason, this was not honored. It seems so weird, though. I mean, it wasn't like they were mummifying uh, yeah, him. Yeah, it's very strange. The lid was lifted off Byron's coffin. They were startled at the incredibly well-preserved body. Now, remember, Lord Byron had been dead at this point over a hundred years, and his body had not been embalmed. That wasn't a thing. They did take out some of his internal organs, which may have helped. Okay. However, Lord Byron's body was in an excellent state of preservation. In fact, his torso and limbs, along with his head, were still solid. The only parts of him that were skeletonized were his forearms, his lower shins and ankles, and his hands and foot. Because strangely, his right foot was not in the coffin. Oh. Again, was it in a jar somewhere nearby? <laughs> no, they, they didn't. They, never, they have never found it. Again, maybe this was a, a souvenir hunter. Is the skeletonized foot of Lord Byron in somebody's Nottinghamshire attic? Can you imagine? Somebody's cleaning out the attic and they have a yard sale, you know, and uh, somebody finds it. And yeah, I was at this yard sale. I got some pretty cool stuff. I got, let me see here, some plastic uh, Thomas Kincaid placemats, a broken stool, and the foot of the greatest 19th century English romantic poet. I wonder what I can get for that on eBay. (laughs) He still had gray hair on his body, his upper limbs, and his head completely intact. In the final report, Barber said he was satisfied to say that Lord Byron, that Lord Byron's body was definitely buried at the Church of St. Mary Magdalene. Now, that's a strange story. Yeah. But here's the strangest part. Oh. You see, when, when Byron died, rumors circulated that when he was placed in the coffin, mm-hmm. he had a massive erection. Oh, jeez. And from what I understand, that's not too uncommon after a man dies no what's that called angel lust or something like yeah, that? yeah that's what people in the, in the funeral trade call it angel lust or a death erection rigor erectus or terminal erection and and it's a post-mortem erection observed in the corpses of men but but mostly men who have been executed particularly by hanging and he just he died from a disease mm. so having heard this story Haldsworth and those with him um, 
Well, they wanted to check it out, and who wouldn't, really? Considering the body was so well-preserved, they wanted to see Lord Byron's boner. This makes me very uncomfortable. Fast forward years after the experience, Hallsworth, in an interview conducted by Byron Rogers and published in the Sheffield Star, uh, he described what he saw when he examined Byron's body, and this is what he said, quote, He was bone from the elbows to the hands and from the knees down, but the rest of him was perfect. Good-looking man, putting on a bit of weight. He had gone bald a little bit. He was quite naked, you know. When asked about the rumors of Lord Byron's death erection, he said that it was just a sensationalized myth. But what he did discover was that Lord Byron had a certain characteristic that was, quote, massively noticeable. Oh? He said, quote, Look, I've been in the army. I've been in bathhouses. I've seen men. But I never saw nothing like him. <laughs> He then, he then pointed to a spot just above his knee and said, quote, he was built like a pony. No. <laughs> Lord Byron, English romantic poet, author of Don Juan and Hebrew melodies, world traveler, adventurer, and possessor of heavy, massively imposing dangly bits. No wonder he was so popular with the ladies. My source information, the Vintage News, the Sheffield Star, and Wikipedia. I'm going to title this one, Lord Byron's Boner. The end. <laughs> well, um, good for you, Lord Byron. <laughs> That's, I think, something that they would, a person often would want that rumor floating around before many years after their death. Well, maybe that's why he wanted his body to remain intact. Maybe. He was afraid that that would become a trophy, not unlike what happened to Napoleon Bonaparte. And that other guy with the hair. Yeah, that stood up and walked around, that guy? Yep. Yeah. Rasputin. Did they take Rasputin's dick? Didn't they? I don't know. I did a thing on Rasputin, but it was 100 years ago. Let me, talk, let me look it up. Rasputin penis. Oh, God. Our Google search history here in our house is, well, eclectic. Yeah, it was um, allegedly cut off after his 1916 murder, then later placed inside a jar that was on display. Wow. All right. So there's that. Yeah. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's 
A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Did you know that people who lived in medieval times walked in a completely different way than we do today? Today, we typically walk heel first and then ball of foot. But in medieval times, it was the opposite. They stepped with the ball of the foot first. It's because there was a lack of quality footwear in those days. And by walking ball first, they could check the ground for debris thus avoiding potential foot damage. In the previous episode, I talked about the uh, cheese rolling competition. So much feedback about that story. Jim writes, hey, freak brother and sister, after listening to the great story of the cheese rolling race event you covered this week's episode, I remember watching in a show that was probably on the History Channel years ago about the same kind of subject. As it turns out, Joe DiMaggio was as proud of his cheese rolling prowess as he was his baseball notoriety. No. But this was a different kind of cheese rolling. It was for distance rolling, the cheese whipping it off a long strap. I guess it's an event of Italian origin. I love that he was as proud of that traditional sport as he was about baseball. And then he attached a link to it. We got a message from Chelsea. Hey, Kat and Jethro, I wanted to send some thanks and appreciation your way for the incredible Freaks Facebook community you created. I mean, yeah, we created it, but we are in no way responsible for this amazing community. This has taken on a beautiful life of its own that we, we can in no way take credit for. Totally organic. 
I posted earlier today to ask for some nutrition recommendations because I'm struggling with some marital issues. Within minutes, people were commenting with love and recommendations and support. At the time I'm writing this, there are over 70 comments, each one full of love, no judgments or comments to buck up and get over it. Thank you so much for existing. And I'm so grateful for all the freaks and their love and support. It, It is an amazing community. The Freaks Group, a Box of Oddities podcast group. Yeah, we were in Thailand at the time this message came in, and so I didn't have an opportunity to respond. I just sent a little heart. <laughs> just, mm. I just want you to know that I love that you sent that message. I love that it happened, and I love that you shared it. In other cheese-related emails, Neil sent us this one. Had to get in touch. You just knocked it out of the park with your tale of cheese rolling. I live but four miles from Cooper's Hill and only seven from Gloucester. Not only have I witnessed the utter lunacy with thine own eyes, but am also pals with an ex-winner of said cheese, circa 1996, mm-hmm. rolling. In answer to cat, not wax, but a hefty rind surrounds it. Got it. Looking like driftwood. But the cheese, somewhat deep inside, is pretty damn fine. So yes, I love you people and hugs to the Schnebleys as well. Mm-hmm. You are the neighbors I never had. Much joy, love, peace, and happiness, and giggly fun to you and yours. Wishing you all the best. Hugs, Neil. And I wrote back to Neil, and I said, this is amazing that you live so close by. I'm probably going to read this on the the next episode. And he wrote back, JG, and Kat, of course. Thank you so much for taking some of your precious time to message me back. I was somewhat thrilled, to say the least. Something I seldom do. What can I say? I'm a waffly chatterbox. (laughs) I just managed to find my way through the maze that is Patreon, and now I'm a proud fellow freaky fella. And oh, I love your turn. I loved your turn of phrase, deadly dairy projectile, as I'm a lover of language and occasionally a voiceover chap. Wow. The words wonderfully rolled off my mind's mouth. I suspect you're not really into doing requests. However, cats... I'm not a witch, that's not my nose, always tickles my chuckle muscles. (laughs) Thanks again for what you do, namely brightening my days. And we all need a bit of that. Thank you, Neil. Do you want to give Neil a little of your Monty Python witch impersonation? I feel like it would be forced. It would be forced? Okay. All right. I won't force you to do it. Although he did request it. And he seems like a lovely chap. And he knows a winner of the cheese rolling competition. No, not going to do it? No. All right. Okay. Sorry, Neil, my, my wife's being a bitch. I'm not a bitch. I'm not a bitch. <laughs> and this isn't my nose. It's a false one. <laughs> I'm ill. Leave me alone. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I got a message from Emily and it says, so I was looking up odd news stories like you do and found out about the fire in Madison, Wisconsin in 1991. Holy fark. And she includes a little more information about that fire, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to tell you that information. So I skipped over that part. Okay, good call. You have storytelling bones. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Emily. This is fun. We got the alarm. The first units blocks away. They pulled up flames 300 feet high and part of the building had blown out already. That's what the firefighter back in 1991 said at the scene of the Central Storage and Warehouse Company on Cottage Grove Road in Madison, Wisconsin. The complex, a cold storage facility consisting of five buildings totaling nearly 500,000 square feet, contained approximately 50 million pounds of food products. Oh my God. The fire started around 2 p.m. And Lieutenant Gordon Bergeron said when the first crew arrived, they were dodging flying cans of ham. Things were shooting out around them throughout this big warehouse dock. No one wants to come to a pork shrapnel-related injury. The fire was already huge and gaining on the firefighters, partially because of the insulating used in the food warehouse and partially because the maze of cold rooms meant building schematics had to be brought in to figure out how to best approach the blaze. Mm. But it was about to get worse. Lieutenant Gordon Bergeron said, Once the walls caved in, the butter came out like a river. Oh my God. Two, three feet of butter you're wading through. Some of our lines got cut off by butter. We couldn't find where our equipment was. That's insane. The fire caused 50 million pounds of food product to ooze into the surrounding areas, fueling the fire. Pools of melted food mixed with water, and it caused additional problems for officials who were wading through feet of liquefied food. Madison Fire Department Chief Stephen Davis said there was at least five feet of butter collected in any low spot. And the more water firefighters used, the more gooey, gelatinous stuff flowed out oh of the building. Oh, God. In all my training and experience, he said, I'd never seen anything like it. Even the old timers had never come across anything like it. I had butter in places a guy shouldn't have butter in by the end of the night. (laughs) At least not without your consent. The fire, fueled by the stored butter, lard, and cheese, continued to gain momentum. Water had little effect on it. Off-duty personnel were called in, and by 6 p.m., the fire had spread to a second building, and a third alarm was made. At one point, Chief Stephen Davis and his team attempted to move the hose line further between two buildings. He stepped off a loading dock onto what he thought was solid ground and instantly found himself up to his chest in melted butter. Wow. At 11 p.m., the second building collapsed, once again making fighting the flames fueled by meats and cheeses underneath even Mm. harder. 
At midnight, with the fire threatening ammonia tanks, an evacuation of approximately 3,000 residents within a half-mile radius was ordered. In addition, the melted food products caused problems as they were flowing toward the Starkweather Creek. The Department of Natural Resources were called in to assist in minimizing the damage to the environment by, among other things, building dams to keep the fatty dairy river from making its way into the creek. It's like a, a giant pyrotechnic charcuterie. You're having fun with this. You're talking about butter five feet deep. How could I not have fun with that? Madison fire crews were on site for days trying to put out this fire. The ladder trucks were struggling to get out. The fuel trucks were not able to get in because of the government butter lake. So mechanics had to lug buckets of diesel five gallons at a time to ensure that the trucks kept running. By May 4, more than 3 million gallons of melted butter and fire runoff had been pumped into the sanitary sewer. Oh my God. On May 5th at 10 a.m., the blaze was declared under control. Unfortunately, that day, rain caused water levels to rise and threatened to send the buttery flood over the last dam and into the creek. The Department of Natural Resources had to build two dams before noon that day. Hi, fire truck. Well, there's a boo effect for you. That's weird. Fire truck just drove by. Anyway, continue, please. Later that day, the fire was downgraded to a fire watch with 12 firefighters on the scene to extinguish hotspots as they popped up as construction crews started to clear away the wreckage. Because, you know, as you know, like with a campfire, once you start moving around Mm. the coals, fires can pop up again. Right. The U.S. Department of Agriculture brought in salvage contractors to remove the food waste on May 6th after another 11 million gallons of congealed butter and firefighting waste had been pumped into the sewer. Oh my God. A few days later, officials were able to determine that the fire was accidental and that it seemed to have been started by the battery of a forklift. Apparently it had exploded or something and created this. The next few weeks were dedicated to cleaning up pumping out ponds of butter and hauling huge piles of canned hams, rubble, and hardened liquid cheese to the Dane County landfill. But it wasn't until May 11, eight days after it started, that the fire was declared officially out. According to state records, the fire resulted in the release of 5,000 tons of food products, including canned meats, hot dogs, bakery items, cranberries, 12,500 tons of dairy products. Wow. Mostly butter and cheese. Losses were estimated around $7.5 million in property damage, $70 million in content, and nearly a million dollars in cleanup costs. Now, those cleanup costs were partially offset by a $20 check that was written by a local daycare. Um, They had sent a note of concern because apparently the kids had seen the fire on the news and the central storage warehouse sign had a picture of a polar bear on it and they were concerned about the polar bear who they named Grover. So they sent $20 to help with the cleanup costs. That is adorable. Is it not the most precious thing you've ever heard? (laughs) Grover. I don't know. The smell comes back once in a while, even here, Lieutenant Berggren said. It was a really bad smell, 
And I honestly still don't eat hot dogs to this day because of that. Yeah, I can see where that would ruin one's um, appetite for a barbecue. Yeah. It reminds me of the story of the Great Molasses Flood in Boston. That's what I thought of, too. Over 100 years after that happened. And we're talking, you know, waves of molasses several feet high that burst from a holding tank. Um, over 100 years after it's it happened, when it's... When it's humid in Boston, you can still smell molasses. It's wild. In the in the South Boston area. In that instance, people were killed. Yeah. And we are very fortunate that in this situation, everyone got out alive. No one was harmed. Excellent. The Great Butter and Cheese Fire of Madison, Wisconsin in 1991. I got my information from Tone Madison, NBC15, cityofmadison.com, and Emily. Thanks, Emily. I had never heard of this. Me neither. That's incredible. And we were alive then. I was 10, and I don't remember anything from that time. (laughs) I mean, or most times, actually. (laughs) Actually, this is something that we might talk about at some point. I found out the other day that I have been to Italy. You didn't know that. It is harming my brain. Like, I'm really struggling with this, and I, I really think we should talk about it at some point. All right. I want to say welcome to our latest members of the Order of Freaks, those who support us on Patreon. Hamill, Neil, our friend from the UK who knows a cheese rolling champ. Amazing. Jimmy, Endelion, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm. E-N-D-E-L-L-I-O-N. Andrew, Lee, Christina, and Haley. Welcome to the Order of Freaks. Thank you. If you would like to support the podcast, Get your shows ad-free and lots of other cool little perks. You can do so by joining the Order of Freaks. Go to theboxofoddities.com. You're so handsome. You're not feeling well, are you? (laughs) We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast on Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.